Welcome to the Eccles Business Buzz Podcast, connecting you to the David Eccles School of Business Alumni Network, one episode at a time. Today we are joined by Crystal Magalette, current CEO and Chairman of the Board at FJ Management Incorporated. Crystal is a former Eccles School Advisory Board member, current board member on the Board of Higher Education for Utah, and one of our incredibly generous donors. Welcome to the podcast, Crystal. Hi, it's good to be here. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself, your background, and your connection to the Eccles community? Sure, I'd love to do that. I was born in Brigham City, Utah in the 60s and grew up just a pretty normal life, except that my dad was an entrepreneur and was starting a company. And I felt very fortunate growing up. And I later moved to Idaho and ended up graduating from Bountiful High. And during my senior year, that's when I first did something with the U because I came to the U at noon my senior year and took calculus. So that's the first time that I was actually on campus. And then I, I went off and pursued a career, graduated from Pepperdine University in marketing, came back and worked for my family's business was actually called Flying J. It was in the oil business. We had a small diversified oil company. And uh, I did that for a couple of years. And then I went off to Harvard Business School and loved that, but wanted to come back to Utah. So I came back to Utah and Um, About the same time I got married and my husband and I started a hotel business called the Crystal Inn and we still have it today and we bought and sold different hotels. But along the way, we had four children. In the early 2000s, my father passed away and someone was running Flying J and I was a board member in 2008 when oil went from $140 a barrel down to $30 a barrel. Flying J did not fare that drop in oil prices very well and ended up in bankruptcy. Within three weeks, I basically came from being a stay-at-home mom for the most part to being CEO of Flying J, which at the time was the 15th largest private company, had about 14,000 employees. And in a year and a half, that's a whole nother story itself, but in a year and a half, we came out of bankruptcy We paid everybody back. I'm coming up on my 12th anniversary from being CEO at Flying J, which we now call FJ Management. One of the ways that we came out and paid everybody back was we sold or merged one of our businesses with our competitor, Pilot. We kept ownership in Pilot Flying J, but a minority ownership. We kept other businesses as well, such as an oil refinery and a bank. We then went on to buy Maverick Convenience Stores in 2012. And we also began investing a lot in uh, public and private equity. And um, in the mid 2000, around 2016, 2017, we wanted to diversify even further. And so we got into healthcare. We have some assisted living centers, as well as we are a single limited partner for a private equity healthcare company. And so That's where we find ourselves today. I still work with my husband quite a bit. He is the CEO of Maverick, and I am the CEO of FJ Management, and that is the holding company for all the companies that I just described. As I mentioned, I have four kids. They have done amazing things. Two are graduated from college, two are juniors in college. And so that's a little about me, probably more than you wanted to know. No, not at all. That is fantastic. I have so many follow-up questions for you. Can you tell me more about the transition from being a stay-at-home mom to a CEO within such a short time span? 
it was like drinking from a fire hose turned way, way up. I had been in the working world and had kids and I had help, but I really had to leave my world as I knew it behind. Um, I was traveling, I was working 60 hours a week, and it was a very different transition. So as a mom, it was really hard when I had my mom hat on. As an executive or as a individual, it was very stimulating intellectually. And so I was always thinking about my kids. I was always trying to do the best I could to make sure I was home on weekends. They would probably say that during some of the hard times I wasn't present. I might have been physically there, but maybe I was on the phone or doing email or something. But in general, I found the situation extremely intellectually challenging. And it made me realize that really, for me, working was a part of who I was and having a career would always likely need to be a part of what I do. That's awesome. You know, you talked about your dad being an entrepreneur and your family having that entrepreneurial spirit. Did you feel like you always had that entrepreneurial spirit and that was something you wanted to be a part of? I still don't think I'm an entrepreneur, actually. So I don't know that I really would say that I fall into that category. And this is why I view an entrepreneur as someone who can come up with an idea and execute on it. I have never really had to do that. I've had to execute on someone else's idea, but I don't consider myself to be the type that sees things and thinks, oh, that's a great business opportunity, or I'm going to go start that business. If I am given something and I need to make decisions and I'm given facts around that, I can do quite a good job usually of collaborating people and ideas and making decisions. Whether that's entrepreneurial or not, I don't know, but... uh, I did watch my dad and he truly was entrepreneurial. He was one of those people that could look at a piece of empty property and say, that's going to be a service station or that's going to be a hotel. He had an eye for that sort of thing. I don't think that I have been that, but I think there are other things that have helped me been fortunate enough to have the kind of career that I have. That's so surprising to me because I would say you are very entrepreneurial. Most people would. It's just, you know, by definition, how I feel. Absolutely. Absolutely. You've been part of a family business for a while now, over 12 years. And as we talk about business relationships and how to navigate through some of those tough conversations, I imagine that looks a little bit different being involved in a family business sometimes. And some of those decisions are probably even more difficult. What would you say has been the most impactful lesson that you've learned? from working with your family? Well, for me, different than a traditional career path, owning and working in a family business, I feel a strong dedication to our employees and to our family, but probably foremost to our employees. And I feel that they really are why we exist. And I feel it is my duty or my responsibility or my desire to do the best I can to keep the company focused in a way that will provide for their families and my family for a long time. I don't view our family business as something that I'm striving to get to a certain size and then sell. For instance, I really view our family business as generational and not really for my kids, although I would like them to be involved. I view it that way more because I really have found that what I enjoy the most about what I do is watching our employees grow and their families grow or other 
parts of the community that we can impact. I take great pride in that. At 56 years old right now, I don't look at it like, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm working my retirement and that's going to be at 60. I don't think that I will have or can have a retirement date. And that's part of, to me, the full circle of family business. On the flip side, I, in some ways, I have a lot of freedoms because of that, because I don't have a boss, really. So I get to call a lot of shots on how I spend my time and which is a real bonus. So there's definitely pros and cons. Oh, absolutely. I can see that. You talk about how important your employees are to your business. I was reading on the FDA management website and some articles about how you've implemented several programs to help your employees save for retirement and give them free training. What benefits have you seen long-term from investing not only in your employees like you talked about, but also their futures and their families? I just really believe that if you treat people right, that they will have your back. And I think that in almost most cases, not 100%, but most cases, people that work for us understand that we have their back. And it's been fun to have them feel comfortable, especially during COVID, for instance. We didn't have to lay off any employees, even in our hotel business, which was very unusual. And our employees remember that. And they are loyal and dedicated to us. And the convenience store business is actually, there's a lot of turnover in the convenience store business. And we would say, and you know, we have some people that turn over a lot, but we have other people that say have been in a store for 35 years and they're the same people, but it's hard it's to be in a position like that. But we really try to provide a great place to work. We do have retirement plans. We have scholarship plans. During COVID, we've had a special family leave because we didn't, we were too big to qualify for some of the government funding. So we did our own program for our employees. We have a, a special program that we pay for grades for our employees' kids if they get A's. And our benefits are, this year we put in a, a number of different choices for benefits because some people felt benefits were too expensive. So we took some of the deductibles a different way. And so for me, I'm always trying to think about things. I can't always do what all the employees want. And I, I don't profess to be the highest paying company out there, but I do really take pride in treating our employees with respect. And usually I get it back because we do that. So our three guiding principles of our overall company are integrity, mutual respect, and excellence. And even though they're basic, and many companies could say that, I really try to live by those things and have our employees also live by those things and managers and people out there interacting with our employees. I think that they're key to being successful and longevity of the business. really so incredible. I had no idea that you guys were doing so much. You know, throughout the COVID-19 pandemic and looking at Maverick, for example, so many of FJ Management's subsidiaries have really been considered essential. I recognize that those employees have really made it possible for 
all of us to get where we still need to go, get our gas, and prepare for this new normal. I know you've probably heard it a million times. I know I definitely have. It's been an unprecedented year and it's not over yet. But what are you doing to help your employees prepare for what life looks like in 2021? Yeah, I think it was interesting, even though I had been through the bankruptcy in 2009, when it happened in March, I, like many, sort of, I don't don't know if I'd say panicked, but panicked. I wondered, like, are we all going to get sick and we can't touch anything? And, you know, and what's going to happen to our businesses? And I really, different than 2009, our businesses were in extremely good financial shape anyway to endure COVID. I immediately saw our hotel business drop to almost nothing overnight, like from 80% occupancy to 12 in a week. I'd never seen anything like that in over 25 years of having the hotels not even close. And that was very sad. It's one of our smaller businesses, but it was the one that my husband and I started. And the gentleman running it is an amazing person and it really rocked him. And I found that... I needed to be strong for him and to make sure he knew we had our support and that we were financially okay. That was the worst case scenario of any of our businesses really. And luckily, again, a fairly small business. Maverick and our refinery had a really rough time in the beginning, but very quickly came around as people understood that their cars were safe and they could drive. And even though they weren't commuting, they still were using fuel, which meant the refinery was going to be okay. And Maverick was going to be not that different than normal. As far as our employees, Chuck, my husband and I felt very strongly that we did not want to put our employees in harm's way any more than we had to. And not knowing everything, we actually went to mandatory mass relatively quickly, not immediately, but quicker than they were mandatory. We did encourage our staff to ask customers to put on masks, but we very much eventually did say that our staff needed to and had to wear masks. And someone may say that's not, wasn't doing something for your employees, but I think it was. We learned how to handle if we had employees that had COVID. I mentioned that whether it's a family member that has COVID that someone needs to care for or our actual employee, we have a special package for them, I guess I would say, or special benefit that they can take leave to take care of their families. Maverick put in for the frontline employees in the stores, COVID pay. So pay increase if you're working during COVID and it was pretty significant. It's a couple dollars an hour, I believe. And it's still in effect. We just keep continuing it because we feel people are still at risk. And I would say, you know, of course we went to, for our uh, corporate employees, we went to work from home very quickly and still are doing work from home. And I really think that we have tried very hard to keep our employees safe as best we can. And we have found in general that it's working. Maverick has a protocol now, if an employee gets COVID of how the store is handled and it's great and we are all resilient. And what we've been able to figure out since last March it's hard to imagine. And now I think we all accept it is the way the world is, to your point, using your term new norm. And I think that we all have adapted very well, not just our company, but many others too. And I just, I do feel very fortunate that 
we have businesses for the most part that have been able to endure COVID. I feel extremely bad for hospitality and travel and those industries that probably will for a long time not be the same. And our hotel company will take a while to recover, I'm sure as well, but we'll be there. We're actually gonna open a new hotel. We are building a hotel first one in years in Carson City, Nevada, and it'll open in the next couple of months. So we'll see how that goes. Wow, that is so exciting. Yeah. I'm assuming it was already in the works pre-COVID. Did it get put on pause? It did not get put on pause because of the, I mentioned the person running our hotels. He was very persuasive that it was a great market and it would do just fine and we would be the nicest hotel. I did for a minute say, maybe we need to finish it to a certain point and not have the operating cost to operate it. But he was very persuasive. So we will see, you know, it'll open in a few weeks, a month or so, and hopefully it'll do great. So I'm very optimistic. You mentioned your occupancy had dropped to about 12%. Have you seen that start to go up with the mask mandate requirements or? It's been pretty consistent since about June-ish. It's inched its way up. It's anywhere between 30 and 60% now. So it's, it's not terrible. It's much better for sure. We can keep open and operating and keep people employed at 30, 40% occupancy. And I do think it will continue to increase. I did not see big differences in what was going on with masks or not, or anything regulations like that necessarily changing what was going on at the hotel. But I think as people have gotten more comfortable themselves, they go out and they wear their masks and they know the drill and they're more comfortable. And I think as more people have been willing to do that, that's one, if not the main reason we've seen our hotels occupancies increase and people just want to get out. I think people may even be doing staycation sort of things, you know, just they want to just get out of their house and go somewhere they feel is relatively safe. Yeah, I know we are all going a little stir crazy over here. Yes. All right. I want to take just a quick break to tell you all about an exciting opportunity to hear more from our Dean, Taylor Randall. That's right. We are teaming up with the Dean of the Eccles School to bring you the inside scoop in a brand new series of fireside discussions, the Taylor Talks. Hear about new initiatives like the Center for Business, Health, and Prosperity, our world-class learning experiences, and how the Eccles School is making an impact not only just here local in the Utah community, but really across the globe. Join us for this new series featuring our brightest leaders at the school, and of course, everyone's favorite, Dean Randall. The Taylor Talks are coming live to a screen near you. To learn more, visit us at eccles.link slash taylortalks. Again, that's eccles.link slash taylortalks. Let's get back to the show. You know, we've talked pretty in depth about the health crisis and everything that the global pandemic has presented and how FJ management has navigated that. But there's some rumblings that people might be concerned about a potential economic crisis. You mentioned 2009 as you took on the role of CEO in the midst of that economic downturn. What did you learn that has helped 
helped you successfully navigate the current circumstances? I learned that you'll get through it, you know, and I had to learn it again in the spring in a way. I'm a very, I mentioned a minute ago, I'm a very optimistic person. I feel very fortunate that I have an ability to compartmentalize things. I'm not a huge worrier. So I tend to, in a crisis, just try to take on, learn as much as I can, make good decisions. And that has paid off. It paid off in 2009. It paid off really again with COVID. But it took me a minute to collect my thoughts and to get my wits when COVID happened again. But I do really think that is my takeaway is I've seen when my father was killed in a plane crash, when the guy that was running our business for over 25 years was literally gone in a day. And the business keeps going. The business is made up of the people that work in the business. It's no one person, even in tough times. And I think I never would have guessed like what has gone on with hospitality industry and tourism. And, and I think there can be things that happen. I do get that, that hit you from out of nowhere. And that's really going back to 2009 for me. That was totally what happened. I, I had no idea. Our company had always been a stellar company with great credit ratings. And, but I just took it one day at a time. And I believed that we had a strong company and I fought for our strong company and I fought for our employees and I came out okay. And for me, and I know that's not the case for everybody in the world, but I've always found if I was optimistic and I worked hard and I believed in myself and I believed and trusted in those around me helping me, that we get through things. And that has served me very well so far. And I really believe in that. That's what it takes is just believing that you can get through it. I think that we could all use a little bit more optimism <laughs> this year. What's next in 2021? You know, 2020 was a year and you said it. I've said it unprecedented. What are your optimistic outlooks for this upcoming year? I'm encouraged with new leadership at the top. Honestly, I don't think that it, petroleum, it has the potential to in some ways hurt our businesses. But what I'm hopeful of is I, I just don't want everybody to be so divided. And I think if we keep going that way, it's not going to be good for our country and our my kids and grandkids. And so I'm optimistic that even though on a business front, that maybe I won't be as well off under a new president as the old president, I really am hopeful that this president will bring our country together in different ways. And I think in the end, in the long run, that will make it better for all of us. I, I think the stock market is very interesting to watch and what it's done during COVID. I do worry that it's continued to go up and up. I don't understand exactly why. I know there's others who can explain it. It's a lot to do with tech and many things, but it just seems like when you see companies that are making no money that are worth billions and billions of dollars, it just conceptually doesn't make sense to me. And that worries me. Like, what? how does that end at some point? But again, I, I look and say, wow, we got, in general, I believe we've gotten through COVID. And except for certain segments. And I do believe there are some people who've been hurt. And some, unfortunately, there's haves and have nots. And there have been people who've been very hurt by it. I hope that we can find ways to help them out. But I think in general, we have weathered the storm and all the many things that have happened this year quite well as a country. 
maybe I don't know as much around the world, but it's been a pretty big thing to get through. And so when I think about an economic downturn, I don't exactly know what could happen that would be worse than what we've seen. And I, it's possible, but I, I think there's a lot of momentum. I think there's a lot of people who do have a lot of ability to invest in all kinds of things. And I think, and I hope that there is a lot of new hope and those that don't, that are sad by what's happened. But I believe that if we could all come together, that we would get through anything. And I do believe that even in an economic downturn would not be as bad if people would just work together to get through all of what's going on. Yeah, our country has felt really divided over the last year. How have you worked to create a culture within FJ management that hopefully doesn't feel as divided and really focused on uniting your employees towards that same optimistic vision that you have? I think I've watched from afar what different CEOs have done. And I think that in a lot of ways, it's a very personal thing to people. And I really try to lead by example. And I hope that I show people that I... I'm not afraid to hire the right person for the job. As I've had discussions around our companies, I have tried to talk about, let's make sure we're not doing this. Or if we are, where are we doing it? Maverick is where we have the most employees. And my husband, you know, is over Maverick. And so I'm not as close to those employees, but Maverick did an amazing thing. They started a program called Be Kind and there's a logo around it and it's simple, but I love that. So we a little bit went out to our employees, not to the general public with letters like others and said, this is not right. And we want to make sure we're doing the right things. And please let us know if we're not and how we can help. We did all those things that everybody has done. But I think what Maverick did is the best, which was this campaign. If you go to a Maverick, you'll see on our front doors, I think a picture and true Maverick adventure style. And it just says, be kind. And that says it all, doesn't it? It doesn't have to be complicated. No. And I just think we make it, I see the world making it very complicated. And it is a, com- I'm not under, it, it is a complicated issue and it needs to be addressed. But I think our new Lieutenant Governor, I heard her speak yesterday, Deidre, And I really liked what she said because she said, we don't need a token woman. We don't need a token minority. We don't need a token role person. We need everybody to have voices. And I'm like, that says it very well, very well. Wow. That's very impactful. Yeah. She did a great job, as did the governor, Spencer. Very inspirational speeches. I'll definitely have to take a listen to that. I know. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we're going to take just a quick break to talk about the upcoming You Giving Day. You know, students really are the lifeblood of the Eccles School. Everything that we do is to support the up-and-coming generation of business leaders. Starting on February 23rd at 9 a.m., we'll be raising funds for student scholarships during the annual You Giving Day. Scholarships lift a financial burden for those who might not otherwise pursue higher education and are a vote of confidence for the student's success. 
The Eccles School can also use scholarships to recruit top talent around the globe. Think back to your first day walking into the Eccles School, stepping foot on campus. You're a little nervous and not quite sure what the next few years have in store for you, but imagine stepping on campus with the confidence knowing that a donor, an alumni, somebody out there is cheering for you. Somebody is rooting you on knowing that your education is going to make a difference in the world and that's something that they want to support. That's just, that's incredible. And I reflect back on my time at the Eccles School receiving a scholarship those years and how impactful it was not only on my education but on my confidence knowing that I can do it even the hard things because someone out there believes that I can too. With that said, we're asking you, our Eccles Business Buzz listeners, to consider making a donation supporting Eccles students during You Giving Day. You can visit our page at eccles.link slash giving day for more info. Again, that's eccles.link slash giving day to inspire the next generation of grads. All right, back to the show. You've talked about it here and there, but one of the key strategic pillars of the David Eccles School of Business is empathetic global citizenship, which is the theme for our pilot season of the Eccles Business Buzz podcast. How have you experienced empathy in your personal life and how has that affected your leadership style or your career? When I saw so much empathy in your questions, I was like, I had to make sure that I understand what empathy means. I think I do. And I looked it up and it's like understanding how others feel. Or The bottom line is, is that for me, I have felt so blessed my, really my entire life since when I was a small child. And I have looked around the world and I have seen the opportunities that have come my way. And I took them. I could have made a choice not to take them, but I had them. They came my way. And I think for me, I feel because I've had those opportunities that it is my obligation to have empathy for others and to to do the best I can to have their lives be as good as mine or to create opportunities for them like I've had. And I can't exactly replicate that. I, I really have just had an, ama- an amazing life, but I can be humble. Hopefully I can be sincere, I can have integrity, and I can think about other people in what I do and the impact it's going to have on them. And that really is talking about what I talked about. That's core to what I am and what motivates me is really that I just, I want all people to be in good places and to be happy. And that sounds really Pollyanna. But I am a little Pollyanna and I'm an optimist. And one of the most exciting things as I go forward with my career really is, or what I want to do with my life is I really hope to be able to impact not the masses, but I hope to be able to impact several people along the way with their education and with scholarships and mentoring. And that is right now what I think my contribution will be. And that all comes really from my own empathy about just how fortunate I've been and that not everybody is as fortunate. And how can I take people who are optimistic and hardworking and help them a little bit along the way? 
And to me, that's my definition of empathy. That's wonderful. What stands out to you about education in particular that made you want to give to that area? There are fundamental things that I think it's been proven, like hunger and health, and that if you don't have that, you can't, it's hard to get an education, right? You've got basic needs. But beyond that, so I guess I could say, oh, I want to do health things, or I want to do hunger. But in general, I just feel like there are a lot of people out there who don't get cut a break. And if they can just get an education, they can help the rest of their family with the other basic needs. And so if I can find those people out there who have worked hard in school and and help them get to a better place to be making a better living for their future generations and families, I think that multiplies more than other things that I could do. That's why I landed on education. And I think that can make a big difference over a long period of time. I think that people's lack of education is part of, and I'm probably getting a little more political than I like to get, but I think people that are not educated tend to gravitate more to fake news and all the things that are out there. And I, I think that if people are educated and become more secure in themselves, then maybe they don't gravitate towards things that are not as good for them. It's just working hard and making a living, providing for their families. Love that answer. <laughs> you know, it's inspiring to speak to a highly educated, powerful woman as a CEO. And you've spoken a lot about the importance of women in the workforce. And you're in a pretty male-dominated industry, I'd say. What advice do you have for women who may be listening about how to practice empathy in their careers, especially in situations where they might feel intimidated? I think the biggest thing is, and it's really simple, is you believe in yourself and you don't let people intimidate you. And even as important as believing yourself is being yourself. And I think that when women go into a situation where they're one of the only women, for instance, if they want to fit in and it's, we're going to talk sports before the meeting or whatever it is, right? It's like, that isn't necessary. And being yourself, people always respect people who are confident and who are honest and have integrity. And no matter about any situation, I think people respect, or my experience has been, you gain respect by that, by being you. And I believe that when I read the question about how women can have empathy. I thought women should have empathy for the men that find themselves in a room with only one woman because men don't really know how to deal with women. And that's been a huge advantage to me in negotiations and things because men know how to deal with men. They do not know how to deal with women. So there is a flip side to being the only woman in the room. And I think if women thought of it that way, as an advantage instead of a disadvantage, maybe they would have more confidence. I also think that women tend to get in rooms and talk amongst women about women's problems. And I suspect minorities do the same. And it's we, again, that's not the way we solve this. We need to talk as families. We need to talk about when young people get married, young adults get married. 
They need to be talking about what kind of career you see yourself in. How does that impact the way we raise our kids? Who's going to, do we care if somebody stays home with the kids? What are we going to do about that? How are we going to handle that? That's great. You want to be home. Good. Okay. That's fine. And we believe it. I mean, you know, those are the kind of conversations so that when the situation arises and someone in the family, whether it be the husband or the wife or whatever the partner situation is, significant others, that people have an understanding amongst themselves what each other's goals and ambitions are. And I think that there are more women that could be out working and do and having careers and things like that if they would believe in themselves and they would believe that they could do it. And I, I think that people would respect them and some of the thoughts about how we, and I mean, a lot of what has gone on even the last year with, with inequality and everything, I hope will have an impact, but, but I really do believe it starts at home with the family talking about careers, not necessarily in the boardroom where you're suddenly the only woman and it starts with education and all kinds of things. And sometimes I think we oversimplify why there aren't as many women in the corporate world. And I, I think that there are a lot of piece parts to why that happens along the way. You know, confidence can be a secret weapon too. Confidence, you can't, you just can't get through life without confidence. You'll get caught. But if you talk about yourself and have it, think you have a huge ego, people will see through you. You've got to be who you are. You've got to admit when you make mistakes You've got to learn from those mistakes. You can't be perfect in life. And you've got to be confident enough to pick yourself up and say, you know what? I screwed up and I learned and I'm going to move on to my next battle or my next whatever I want to do. I'm not going to let that get me down. I have four kids. I'm constantly telling them that not to be so critical of themselves, not to, you know, and it's hard in today's world because there's so many people and influences out there every day and everybody looks like they're doing more than you are. And it's hard. It's really hard for your generation. It's harder than it was for ours, but it's just so key to what you become, that confidence. Yeah. It's tough when you're constantly in comparison mode instead of focusing on how you can improve and just staying in your lane. Yeah. How can I do that? They did that. I haven't done anything like that. You know, it's like, yeah. The Instagram life is not real. Yeah, the grass is always greener. Yes, yes. And that impacts a lot of people and hurts a lot of people, unfortunately. I agree. It's been an interesting give and take with social media. There's so many benefits, you know, especially as we see information move so quickly, but that also has its downsides too. Yeah, you have to get through all the truth and not truth and what's real and not and yeah. But it's available. <laughs> yep, it's it's out there. It's out there instantly. Whether we want it to be or not. Exactly. I think I only have one more question that I'd really like to ask everybody who is going to be on this pilot season. So what resonates with you about empathy? It really does come down to that whenever you're viewing your own life, if you step back and you view it from someone else's perspective, view their life, what do you see? And how can you as a person bring that person along or, or see where they're coming from? And I don't think it always has to just be 
that, oh, I have more than them or whatever. My life is better and therefore I I should feel sorry for them. I, I don't think it's all about that. I think it's also just understanding the shoes they walk in, understanding where they're coming from. And I think that is a, a big part of empathy too. It's just, are we stopping and saying, wait a minute, why did they t- take that action? Or what is the root cause of why they're in the position they're in? They're very different from me, but how can I help them that it is more relatable to them? I could not have said it better myself. It's so interesting. We've talked a lot about how empathy is defined. And I really truly think that everybody has a little bit different definition based on their own experiences and their own perspectives. So I really, really appreciate you. Thank you so much for joining us today and being patient as we kick off our pilot season of the Eccles Business Buzz. All right. Well, thank you for having me. It's been fun to answer your questions. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Eccles Business Buzz podcast. If you enjoyed the show today, please subscribe using your favorite podcast player and be sure to give us a rating and review. You could check out more of our content at eccles.link slash business buzz. Until next time, go Utes.